Hi, I'm Renata. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Wyatt. And you're listening to In, In the, the Hallway. hallway. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about food. It seems like it's like a very common topic everybody wants to talk yeah. about. Like... Especially, especially me and Renata, we talk about food a lot. <laughs> Everyone who comes here wants to talk about food. Yeah. Okay, so a starting question. What did you last eat for lunch? Why do you want to go first? I meal prepped a ton of like paneer curry Ooh. and I just have like six days worth just sitting there in the fridge. With rice? With naan. Whoa. Dang. For put, six days. I put the naan in like the air fryer and it's like an <laughs> amazing substitute. Why? Well, tell us about your air fryer. <laughs> I use it a lot. Like, pretty much every day. <laughs> I didn't get, I didn't even know what an air fryer really did until like, my friend from church like messaged me about it. And I was like, I'll, I'll buy it. And I just like decided to buy it on a splurge. And I've been using it every day since. <laughs> he talks about it every time he has a chance. <laughs> yes, every conversation he brings up his air fryer. Oh. Renata, what'd you have? I had raclette. <laughs> Dang! <laughs> I was really craving it last week. And so when I was at St. Lawrence Market at the cheese store, um, I asked if they sold raclette cheese. And I only, I tried to buy 100 grams, but the guy was like, 100 grams will give you two slices. I was like, oh, okay, uh, I'll get 300 grams. And now I have too much cheese. <laughs> you, you, know when they give, you know when they give you too much and you can't give it back? Yeah. Like they've already like, weighed it out. Like the ground pork at the yeah. Chinese grocery store. <laughs> it's kind of like how whenever you go to like a Chantown like meat section and you're like trying to ask for like a specific like weight and you're just like... Uh, nah. So and quiet, and, which means it's like, oh, we only sell like by piece, and then you just end up with like three kilograms of, like pork belly. Yeah, and you feel bad. Me trying to ask for half a pound of ground pork. You get for... one pound. I asked for a hundred grams. Oh my gosh! And then I always, they always get angry, but then they give it, oh. and I always go like, oh, what's your headshot? Which means I don't eat a lot at all. Oh. And then they give it. Okay, what did you eat? I ate, wow, next to yours, it sounds not, not as fun. I ate instant noodles <laughs> for lunch. Well, it was my brunch because um, I woke up late. <laughs> and so I didn't have breakfast, so I was so hungry. And I didn't want to really cook anything because I had to leave the house. So I had instant noodles. Which brand though? Oh, I had Shin Ramen, but like the, the black one. Which Ooh, is I've always wondered, like, does it taste different? Have you not had it? No. Yo, it's so good. It's so I feel like the, the flavor is much more complex than a regular shin. It's like kind of creamy. Oh. It's supposed to be um a pork bone broth. Oh. Spicy flavor. You know what's it's really good. funny? Like every time with like any group of like Asians, like the debate of like what's the best like instant noodle brand comes Indomie. up. And it's always <laughs> such a massive debate. Like I feel like people struggle like everyone has their like own personal preference. Yeah, yeah. What's yours? Hmm? Uh Probably like a Chinese brand called like Hansu Fu Hansu Noodle Mian. It's like a like beef noodle soup. It's really popular back home. Mm. I'm not sure if it actually contains beef, 
like they have sometimes like you bite into like tiny tiny pieces of like block <laughs> or like a shard of something and you're not really sure what it actually is but it's really good do they have it here in canada yeah they have it like everywhere in chinatown oh, oh really? i'm gonna look for it sometime is it is it. the beef dried or is it in, like sometimes they don't even give you beef what so it just depends there's no consistency <laughs> Yeah, that's the best part. It's like you you have it and you're like, well, you never I actually, know. Actually, getting beef. Yeah. Either that or like, the classic Hong Kong one, which is like touching mm. yetting, which is like the 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 one with like that the little black, Japanese boy. The black garlic. Yeah, the black garlic. Mm-mm. It's really good. I love how like in Hong Kong food culture, it has become acceptable to have a bowl of instant noodles with spam and fried eggs in the morning. And nobody will bat an eye. I've actually breakfast. like ordered it. I've gotten to a point where I've ordered it. Okay. <laughs> but you have to understand that like the spam here is very different from what you will get back there, right? Well, how, how is it different? Like taste or consistency? A bit of both. Oiliness. <laughs> the <laughs> ones in Hong Kong, I think, are a bit less salty. And in the oh. actual thing, they call it differently. They call it luncheon meat instead of mm. spam. And uh, there's like little pieces of like pork floss almost huh? inside. What kind of luncheon meat are you eating? Or like stringy, or like stringy pieces of like pork inside. But <laughs> this one's kind of bad. Wait, it's no, I think I've wait, had wait, that wait. before, but it's different from spam. Yeah, spam is very homogenous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, no, I know, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, me is a good choice. <laughs> it's very acceptable. Mm. Yeah, Indomie is very delicious. I never had Indomie until I came here. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you introduced it to me. Yeah, I introduced it to lots of people. <laughs> and then I took it home and I introduced it to my brother and now he's addicted to it. Indomie. <laughs> yeah. Every time anyone mentions Indomie, I always want to tell the story about my high school Indonesian roommate. Who, every time he flew back to our boarding house, he would bring back an entire box of Indomie. And I just vividly remember this one time. That came back to like our room at like 2 a.m. after a long night of studying. And I just see him lying on his bed in pain. Like he he's like groaning in pain. Aww. And I was like really concerned. Cause and I was like, do I need to bring you to the nurse? And then he was just like, No. I ate too much indomie. <laughs> so I think he Wait, ate. How like, many packets did he eat? Like three? Four? <laughs> Wait, packets? that's that's not that much. That's quite a lot. Like, you do realize that, like, one packet has, like, the recommended daily sodium in there. Oh, the sodium. So he, like, consumed, like, I think, like, 400% of your daily sodium intake <laughs> oh in, like, gosh. five minutes. <laughs> so his, like, muscles were cramping like crazy. Oh, wait, that's... I've never that's eaten so that much sodium that that happens. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, like, I endorse this behavior. I'm just saying I kind of understand where he's coming from, though. Did, are you trying to talk about the goodness of indomie? You know, actually, I, I only ate indomie growing up, so I didn't know any other instant noodles. Mm. So did you try most of them when you came here? Um, I, maybe I had, like, the Korean ones. But, yeah, my family only bought... And we talk about the box of indomie. Actually, it's really common. Um, when people, Indonesians, visit Indonesia who don't live there, they always bring back a box. Mm-hmm. So in the luggage... Um, luggage what is it in carousel in the airport yeah it's always like you always see indomie indomie. it's a flight from indonesia Uh -uh. Mm. that's really cute yeah i mean i also ate indomie growing up mainly just because like 
uh, at least in Hong Kong when I was there during the summers, there's a substantial Filipino and Indonesian population due mm-hmm. to like the nannies there. Yeah. And it's really great. They have like stores there that are like just dedicated towards like Indonesian and like, Filipino like Stop. snacks. Mm-hmm. And you can try everything. Although Indomie was kind of the main go-to thing that I would get. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Asian food here? Ooh. I think y'all should take the stage on this one. Um, I think it's definitely different. I'm not somebody who shares the opinion that, oh, like, Kung Pao and, like, General Chow's chicken is not Chinese. I feel like if it's, like, created by, like, ethnically Chinese people, it's, like, mm-hmm. considered Chinese. I just feel that, like, obviously, like, palette-wise is, like, a bit too much for me. Like, it's a bit too, like, greasy and oily. Oh. But mm. I get it. Like, it's still not bad. Like, I, I, I wouldn't, like, not eat it if I was in a situation. I remember when I was in, like, Houston airport and, like, all they had was, like, fast food. So I just went with Panda Express, and it was like serviceable, you know. Are you talking like um like American Chinese style food? Yeah, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like right now, I feel like just because, especially in Toronto, with the mass migration of like now like mainland Chinese people, especially students, oh yeah, you can get like really good and like really authentic Chinese food, mm-hmm. especially like in Chinatown or like uptown like Markham or Richmond Hill. Yeah, to the point where like. I don't know how non-Chinese people would even, like, order food at the restaurant. Because it's, like, very... I feel like with Chinese food, there's, like, different, like, levels of, like, ease of entry, right? Mm. Like, for example, if you bring somebody to have, like, Americanized Chinese food, like Panda Express or, like, a fried rice, like, anyone can, like, understand and, like, eat it without, like, being too concerned. Yeah. Then I would say, like, probably something like dim sum or, like, Cantonese food. Just because it's been in Canada for a while, right? It's like widely known. Yeah, but then you get to like. Mala hot pot. I think Sichuan food is actually the second More most accessible. accessible one, out of like the main eight like Chinese cuisines after like Cantonese, just because it's the most distinct and easy to like tell, right? That's true. You know what is yeah. Sichuan. There's like nowhere else. In the, like global cuisine that you can really get like the like numbing spice the, the mala right well like everything else in terms of like the eight major food cuisines of china like some of them can get a bit qu- like confusing right like if you're comparing like jiangsu to like anhui sen it's f- still quite similar mm. but yeah i would say that like the non like cantonese Sichuan food is where it's a bit more of a tough sell if you're like, bringing like your like, there's a lot of, like, obviously the ones I go to the most in, like, Chinatown, like, like, Shanghai cuisine, just because mm-hmm. that's what I'm born and raised in, and, like, it's my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. But it's a very hard sell, because I, I know this because I had, uh, when was it? In third year, for my birthday dinner, me and, like, a few of my guy friends went to get, like, Shanghai food in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends, uh... His name is Jose, great friend of mine. He's Mexican. He was the only person there who's like not Chinese. And it was very difficult for him to like eat the food. It. Just because like I was ordering things like one of my favorite things is like a like how should I explain? It's like a wok like fried garlic river eel dish. 
Mm. And when it got like placed on the table, he was just like was kind of confused on what it actually was. Mm. And like you still have your stuff that I will still consider a bit unfamiliar, especially if you grow up here, like bamboo shoots or like mm. lotus root. Yeah, like the taste is not something that you'd find in the like the mainstream yeah, white you... palette. Mm. I mean, yeah. it's not white, but even in different cultures, it's just not even comparing like like white or here mm. versus Chinese like different cultures. I think with Shanghai food as well, just because this is like the cuisine I'm very familiar with, there's also a sense of difficulty because actually like entree dishes in Shanghainese cuisine can be very, very sweet. Like it's kind of thing, right? Like if you've ever had like red braised pork, that's in Shanghai. Yeah. The ones you'll get in Shanghai use the main thing that distinguishes it, because it's something you can find all around China, but the main thing that distinguishes the one in Shanghai is the amount of like rock sugar that they actually add to the mm. sauce. So in the end, it's like almost like glistening, right? Because it's like this. Oh, is it caramelized on? Yeah, the... it's almost like a caramel. Yeah, I'm getting but... hungry. <laughs> but then when you say caramel, it sounds disgusting. Yeah, you know. Mm. Okay, th- this is this is this is something that I've been thinking about, like the way we talk about food. I feel like what. Like, taking food aside, like, I think the way we talk about food in North America and, like, I don't know if it's every white country, I feel like is very problematic. Because, like, when we're trying to describe why is, like, hong shao rou, like, the only word I can think think about to describe it is, like, caramel. But mm-hmm. in reality, it's, it's not, right? Like, caramel is this very, like, Caucasian way of describing something, and it's almost like... It feels like to me like they have to dumb down the dish for the for the wide public to understand which is i think my biggest pet peeve about um bringing like so-called ethnic i wouldn't even say ethnic foods like just foods from other countries and regions here is that i almost have to like describe it in a way that like people can understand so for example there's this dish I really like in Indonesia called Soto Betawi. And what it is, it's like, um, see, now I'm describing it, it's going to sound horrible, but it's... I, I know what it is. Yeah. You're, you're describing it too charming. Like, it's like lemongrass, um, a turmeric, um, galangal, which they don't even freaking sell here. Um, like garlic, ginger, shallots, and it's blended into a paste and then it's made into a soup. And then the soup has like beef. Um, but the way like I would describe it to people who've never had it, I'd be like, oh, it's like a beef stew. But it but it really isn't. Like it's so much more than that. And it's almost like I have to adopt like the, the descriptors of this place in order to explain the food that I love. Mm. That That's what I hate the most. Like there's already a... There's already a precedent in people's minds about, you know, like when you say beef stew, suddenly you think about the taste of beef stew and you're like, oh, that's not really like what I... Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't quite fit. So then it's like you're trying to fit um, the food from your culture into like a normal. Uh, uh, So-called normal. I'm doing finger, what are these quotation marks? Everyone, she's doing finger quotation marks. (laughs) (laughs) I think like another great example of it. Again, like, I'm just going to speak about Chinese food because, like, that's the thing that, like, my entire family background yeah. is. Like, if you test my blood, it's, like, full-on, just, like, 100% Chinese. There's, like, no distinction there. <laughs> okay. But, 
So, and and like Chinese cuisine, there's like the five big flavors, right? So it's like, 甜酸苦辣鲜 So that's sweet, sour, bitter, spicy, and then. 鲜 is always like a one that's like really hard to describe. Like the direct translation for it would be like fresh. I was gonna say fresh too. But it's like hard to explain. It's like when you have like a really nice steamed fish. Yeah. Like I'm not sure how you clean. Clean slash savory, right? But like、yeah. out of five, right? Like Xian's obviously one that's like very difficult to like translate in like a Western context. And the other really surprising one, I think, is like, cool, which is like bitter,、mm-hmm. because it's not a flavor that's really used in like Western cooking,、mm, or celebrated that much. Yeah, yeah. celebrated. That's because、word. when you mention like bitter, right, you're thinking more about medicine. Like, medicine. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And it's something that's like very. Like, it's it sounds a lot worse than it actually is in a sense, it's. Also, a very difficult flavor. It's the main dish I can think of is like in like Asia, where not everyone knows. There's a vegetable called the bitter gourd. Bitter gourd. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is a very common ingredient used to create dishes with a bitter flavor, and it's the flavor profile that you actually get when you're eating it is very different from like pretty much anything else in the world,、mm. and it's something that's very. I've been told growing up by like my parents that it's a very like old adult taste in a sense.、Oh. The reason that it's it's a flavor that's like actually sought after in food、mm. is because as you grow older, right, your taste buds start to like dilute a bit.、Mm. But something about the taste of bitterness is like kind of like, kind of pass through that, right? It's sharp. It's extremely strong.、Mm. So that's why like. If you're looking at like, for example, like scrambled eggs or bitter gourd, which is a very popular dish again,、mm, like Hong Kong, you it's it's very popular with like the older generation, but not so much with like us, right? My mom, my <laughs> mom, yeah, even my dad, like he he loves the dishes using that flavor. But again, it's something that's like really hard to like translate over、mm. to a Western palate, right? And、mm. I think that's something that. Is kind of a challenge going forward. I feel like for Asian food because you have a lot of like, at least for Chinese, yeah, you already have very like regional specific like restaurants in like just walking around Chinatown.、Mm-hmm. But the challenge is like, how do you bring somebody who's like, like not even like not Chinese but like not like mainland Chinese into a restaurant and like. Order a and like share a meal that everyone feels comfortable eating is quite a big ask.、Mm, that is,、wow. that is a very like it's a very disheartening feeling, because I feel like sometimes I'm almost like. I mean, I don't think I have to struggle with it that much because there is no Indonesian food here, so like, <laughs> but you know, like I'm almost afraid to show like my some dishes because I'm like, I almost don't want people's judgment of it to ruin it, you know, like. I I know it's delicious. I've had the authentic thing, but if I bring you to a place here that like replicates it, um, one, it won't meet my standards, obviously. But two, th- if they don't like it and they start talking about it in a way that like makes, I don't know, like, like for example, for Indonesian food, like 
because it doesn't really exist here, people think it's like Thai food or like, I don't know. They're like, oh, is it Thai and Indian mixed together? I'm like, bro, no, it's not. It's okay. Oh. I think it's okay. Yeah. Where do we stop? It's Thai and Indian mixed together. Yeah, Thai and Indian mixed together. Or it's like, so there's this Malaysian restaurant here that uh, we're obsessed with. Well, we became obsessed with this month called Gourmet Malaysia. And I love the place. It's the only place I can get half the stuff that I want to eat. But the like in the front of the restaurant, it's like um, serving Singaporean, Malaysian, Thai, um, Indonesian food. And it's like suddenly it becomes one restaurant, which is which some people would be like, oh, you know, they all came from the same region to start off with. So it makes sense that they're grouping it together. But no, like. They're different, and it's not just about, like, I think Indian food's better than, like, maybe Malaysian food or Singaporean food, but I think... Yeah, because it's not. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I'm just saying it's not about that. But I think it's more like, you know, like, each place that does a certain type of dish does it differently. The type of ingredients, like, the method of cooking, mm-hmm. the the cut of meat you can find, like, yeah. I think in like a Southeast Asian cuisine context as well. Like this discomfort also comes from the fact that it's very weird that a restaurant would be doing all of it, right? In the yeah. sense that like at least especially in Southeast Asian uh countries with uh, including Singapore. Singapore has hawker centers while every other Southeast Asian country has a very big like street food culture. Yeah. And it's very weird that uh they would it's and it's kind of sad that like a restaurant such as like gourmet malaysia like again we love the place but it's like they have to like market themselves with like such a big broad range to attract people because even with like southeast asian food places right you it's very rare for you to find a restaurant that does like all all of of it it, yeah yeah like in the place you know you can get your like chicken rice chocolate tail nasi lemak uh beef rendang roti chennai etc etc which is very weird because street food places and hawker centers in Singapore usually would focus just on like one, one thing. Dish. Like mm. this this place only does like chicken rice. This place only does nasi lemak. And it feels very if it's a bit I don't know. I'm not sure if like discomfort is the right word, but like more weird that mm. the restaurant here will have to like have like everything under the like culinary mm. umbrella. Yeah. Plus different like Cuisines. cuisines as well yeah like all this singaporean food and then pad thai i'm like okay i understand singapore malaysia indonesia food group together like i guess there's a lot of similarities but like the pad thai i'm just like that's a complete different country a complete different flavor profile but it's almost like that's what people here know right mm. so it's like a survival yeah. method for the the restaurant owners i think which is as, sad. as a whole like southeast asia is just like very underrepresented and mm western society yes in the sense that like even when like i remember when i came here for university and like i told people that like, oh like where i i did my high school education in, like singapore yeah and like half of the people would say they don't know where that is and the other half would say like oh that's in china right and i'm just like uh <laughs> i'm not sure which one's worse at this point <laughs> but i think it's it's a very unique region with very distinct cultures and i feel like that's something that's not very represented here 
in terms of like if we're talking about cuisine, the most you're getting here is like Thai and like Vietnamese and maybe a bit of Filipino. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of the other cuisines are very underrepresented. Yeah. And Thai food is like okay because like here you have like a couple like really like pretty good places like Khao San Ro and Pai, Pai for example. Yeah. Vietnamese is like more of a weird one in the sense that like yeah. people here like associate like Vietnamese food with like pho, which yeah. is very Only good. Only one dish. But at the same time, it's like very uh. It's not like the only like noteworthy dish. It's like mm. even like I like Filipino restaurants. It's not the Filipino restaurants. They are a, have like a bit more range, but you're you're kind of looking for them. Like there's like Tinua downtown, and like other than that, you're either like having to go to, to the, the suburbs dance, to the dance floor or like Jolly Bee, <laughs> which is very good. But I feel like. Like, even, like, outside of food, I feel like Southeast Asia as a whole has been very underrepresented in media. Because I feel mm-hmm. like there's already, like, yeah, there is representation of, like, Asia as a whole now. Only most, honestly, mostly due to, like, Japan and Korea. Japan with, like, anime and, like, Korea, Korea with K-pop. K-pop and, like, K-dramas. Mm-hmm. China's kind of there i feel like there is some interest in like the entertainment there but not as much and then like southeast asia as a whole has just kind of been like ignored right like the only thing people probably think of when they hear southeast asia is like probably crazy rich asians and that movie has a very different reception in that region in the sense that like Mm -hmm. i feel like it doesn't portray a very accurate picture of singapore i feel like most of us with a connection to Singapore like appreciate the movie yeah. for bringing like the country to a wider audience but at the same time like we don't live like that there yeah no one does I mean no one I know does yeah and I think in the crazy registration case right there's also been a lot of justified complaints about the movie on how it tries to, like Chinese wash Singapore uh-huh. In the sense that like it's a very diverse region like it's literally built into like the constitution and everything about the city mm. that you have your three major ethnic groups right your chinese singaporeans your mm. malay singaporeans and your tamil singaporeans right but in the movie it the entire class uh entire cast is pretty much all like that's chinese true. Singapore. that's true I didn't and think then that. uh there was also my friends and I were talking about it and it's like also like borderline racist that the only non-Chinese Singaporean characters you see are a pair of guards at a mansion which is very stereotypical and doesn't help the conversation about like the wage gap that exists between different ethnic groups in Singapore Mm. so I feel like that movie as a whole is like sure (laughs) like it helps but like I feel like there's still a long way to go, especially because, like, again, Singapore is also very different from the rest of Southeast Asia. And pretty much everything, like, I feel like if you ask a random person on the street, like, what their impression of, like, Singapore? 
not not even Singapore, like Malaysia mm. or even like the lesser represented ones like Cambodia, Laos, mm. Myanmar, Brunei. There's like very little like impression that people have of those places. Mm. And it's it's I guess it's frustrating that like at least for like Renato and I, that like we're kinda in a situation where we tell people about like where we were before we came to Canada and like nobody really knowing. Mm. So Or I would say oh I have two thoughts. Okay, so the first one is about crazy rich Asians. I think um it's I think it's a bit sad that the reactions to crazy rich Asians are like pretty polar opposite. That's it's the Asians are like I mean okay. By Asians I mean like people who maybe have lived in Singapore or are from Singapore their reaction is like, this is not us, man, like, and then they're like, they're like, oh, this is misrepresenting Singapore, and then the opposite is like, oh, wow, Singapore's like this, this rich place, everything's so great there, but I think, like, representation is like a huge task to do, and it's not perfect, this movie's not perfect, because, one, it's a two-hour movie, um, how could it encapsulate an entire culture? Two, it's the first time they've, I mean, it's probably not the first time. It's it's one of the more large-scale times when um, they have brought such a full Asian cast and crew to a big screen like that in North America. Because, because it's not that representation didn't exist. Like, Asian media in Asia itself is big. And the problem, I think, is when um, the conversation about representation representation focuses on the fact that there isn't any representation because you know what there is it's just right here in north america um there isn't because the focus is on mainstream white culture right and um yeah that's my thought about crazy rich asians and representation i think um there's only so much a two-hour movie can do i think it definitely put Singapore as a region and like that whole a different type of culture even like what a hawker center is like on a map and I'm appreciative of that I'm appreciative that now when I talk about Singapore at least people are like oh like I know Singapore from crazy rich Asians like at least like it's no longer like oh Singapore you mean China you know but yeah I feel like the work of representation is is a heavy one to do and by representation, I don't want to say, like, there's zero representation because that is completely false. Like, there has been very good Asian media produced in Asia. Mm-hmm. It's it's just that it's almost like talking about the food thing, right? It's Asian media that is accepted and digestible and understandable here. Also, on the topic of, like, food and, like, Asian representation, right? Like, I feel like Renata and I will both agree on this opinion about crazy rich Asians. But I hated how they featured Newton Hawker Center. Yeah, that's not even a good place, by the way. So my mom doesn't like it because they serve their food in styrofoam. Yeah, um, <laughs> so, I guess for context for viewers, so in Singapore you have these things called hawker centers, right? Which are big uh communal food hall, food courts basically, and mm. it's where a majority of Singaporean cuisine is consumed. But the one they chose to feature is like the most inf- whitewashed one. It's infamous in the tourists are there. Yeah, it's infamous in Singapore because no local actually goes eat, like actually eats there. That's it's, so ironic. Yeah, because the food there is first of all Expensive. overpriced. 
you're paying twice as much as what you get outside and it's not as good mm. it's like kind of like a i wouldn't say a tourist trap because like the food you're not gonna get bad food in singapore but it's like very like surface level mm. like if you're looking at like good food in singapore i'll suggest like probably like old airport road or like chung baru hawker center which you would have to travel a lot which is no it's not even that far honestly singapore's so small yeah right it's like 45 minutes from like one end to the other but it's something that like i feel like renato made a really good point about like media representation right i feel like there definitely is kind of that like culture gap between like like people back in like old country versus here like if you look at for example the highest grossing movies of 2019 and 2020 mm. around 30 to 40 percent of them would actually be a full asian cast the difference is they're all Chinese movies that unless you're living there, you probably won't bother to watch because mm-hmm. it's, they're not, they won't be shown in Canada be, predominantly because first of all, the big celebs and like the A-list celebs that they're featuring in the movies, you wouldn't know because they're Chinese. You're, you may get subtitles, but you're not going to get any sort of like dub for sure. And the stories being told and the sense of humor being told it's completely like impossible to understand basically Mm -hmm. unless you're familiar with the culture i feel like because like i watched a couple of them especially like the comedy movies for example you have to really have you have to be like born and raised in china to like fully appreciate it Mm -hmm. because it's featuring like a lot like you know situations you may have encountered like growing up in school mm-hmm. or like with your family and like comedy okay comedy is one of those things comedy is very cultural specific yeah. and That's true. like comedy is also very based on language right mm, and yeah. in mandarin and cantonese both uh the language is extremely complicated there's a lot of like wordplay and puns involved yeah. that it's like reading like subtitles or like just listening to a dub you're it like you're, you're gonna like completely miss it right mm-hmm. i think that's i think the probably the most famous comedy director from china is like Simon chow right and his movies as a whole like my my myself and like my dad both love his films but okay so i think like 2010 afterwards all his films have been in mandarin and 2010 before they were only in cantonese but in both cases the reason why he's such a celebrated director and his films are so beloved in China is because they are some of the smartest writing you'll ever like hear. But you have to understand the language extremely well. Like some of his jokes in Cantonese, I don't even understand because my Cantonese is like a decent level, but not great. Like they're just a lot of like clever wordplay and stuff like that. And like, again, the culture aspect of it, right? So one of my favorite movies with him has this one scene where I'm trying to think of a good way to explain this in English, but social context back in the day, there were like what we call the or the four heavenly Kings, which referred to four really popular Cantonese pop artists. And he had a scene where he was lining up for tickets to get, to go to a concert. And then the, the person in front of them, like, steals all of it and then he gets trampled over and then he's like lying on the ground depressed mm. and all of a sudden a random person comes over gives him 
a ticket and then he like thanks him and like starts crying. If you're watching it in English with no understanding of like like pop culture, it probably wouldn't make any sense. But the inside joke is the person handing the ticket is actually one of the Cantonese pop artists that he was lining up the ticket for. And the entire joke is his movies have never been super high budget. So the joke is that one of the most popular singers at the time did a cameo in it. But oh. if you don't know the artist and you don't know the context... Then you won't appreciate yeah. that. Because I don't think they even like mentioned like the singer's name. Like oh. He just like appears and it shows his face and then you're like unless you know what that was about like you'll completely miss the joke right if you know you know yeah basically <laughs> what's the acronym for that if i y k y k yeah 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 you're right i feel like it's like this tension between like wanting to be represented but also n- there's like a certain barrier to good representation mm-hmm. because like if language is a huge thing language comedy like you know that have you seen the the iceberg diagram about culture and like yeah, yeah. how like the things on top are like um like food like music i don't know what else like clothing but then at the bottom it's like comedy like what like values about death like what time means, um, how you view elders and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my point. What was I talking about? Culture representation is difficult to achieve because of yeah. Because uh, in one hand, on one hand, we want to be seen on the big screens, but also on another hand, it's like we want it to be well done. I think that's what it is. Uh-huh. Because we're looking for ourselves in it, mm-hmm. but it's if it when it feels slightly wrong, we're just like. This is not- no, this is not it. This is not it. <laughs> and I do feel like it's just like I think it's still possible though. Like yeah. I feel like not with like Chinese media yet, but especially with like Korean media. I'm thinking like right now obviously everyone's like in love with like Squid Game, right? And I feel like that's very it's very interesting that they managed to create a piece of media that's very Korean in each nature in terms of the story that's being told. Yeah, and culturally. And like extremely culturally yeah. important, but at the same mm-hmm. time, it can achieve like popularity, right? Mm-hmm. But but you see, okay, the thing with Korean media is that it's not trying to do what Crazy Rich Asians is doing. It's not trying to be like Hollywood successful. It's not trying to represent Asians in a white culture. Yeah, so maybe the pinnacle of what representation looks like it's just that Asian produced media in Asia is consumed here. Mm-hmm. I think there's also a place for Asian American produced media mm. as well in in Asian Canada and America because that's like a whole different voice from Asians from Asia have a voice and Asian and Americans Canadians have a different voice and that we equally need both of them. But I guess mm. what we're we feel like there's like a gap between still yeah. is that what we're talking about yeah. yeah i feel like it's it's just very interesting that a lot of like the big name like asian hollywood media that's been produced mm-hmm. has had such a drastic difference in reception like the other one i'm thinking of right now is shang chi right mm-hmm. Which, mulan Mul- uh, okay mulan's just like everyone did not like it because it's yeah, just mulan's like kind of let's, let's talk about shang chi yeah <laughs> shang chi is like the weird one because it's like it's 
obviously very popular here, right? Everyone was like talking about it and everyone was going on like launch weekend. Uh, but I guess like back home, it's like very different. I remember having a whole conversation with my friends about this mm-hmm. and it was their main opinion is like, I think about beauty standards, right? In the sense mm-hmm. that like, uh, if Simi Wu listens to this, I apologize in advance. Okay. But, I don't think he will. <laughs> yeah. But uh, his appearance, like not saying he's not attractive, but he's attractive towards a more like CBC or like ABC beauty standard right and back there it's not so much right you're looking at more you're thinking like more like idols so like more on the slim side with like impeccable like makeup and like like face structure and everything Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's a difference and it's just i don't know there's always been kind of a struggle I feel when you're trying to tell stories inspired by Asia, especially when you're competing with people who like born and raised and like never left. Cause like, for example, like Shang Chi takes a lot of inspiration from like your very like popular like wuxia stories, mm. which is a whole genre in China, and it's it's literally like the most popular like literary genre there. But when you're taking inspiration from it. Compared to like a lot of the stuff that's been produced over like the past couple of decades in China, it's like all right, like the classic like cinematography technique of like having people on like wires and like flying over the place and like fighting like the like with oh yeah the radio cannot show hand motions but like <laughs> <laughs> but like with like swords and like flying about and like crazy backflips yeah. like Shanxi has that. But if you're talking about like actual cinematography, there's been movies who've been doing that, and like directors who've been doing that for like multiple mm. decades. Mm. Like if you're thinking about like say like Zoe Moore or like Ang Lee, for example, who has like Hollywood knowledge, like they were doing this like early two thousands, right? Mm. And I feel like that's kind of a major cultural difference that's occurring, mm. and. I mean, they did try. Like they had like Tony Lang, which uh, if you don't know him, like watch his movies. They're very good. But he's like probably like the the most famous actor to ever come out of Hong Kong. And it's just very. I don't know. I watched it with like a couple of my friends, and I was kind of surprised that they don't know him, because he's basically like one of probably like the top three actors to like ever come Mm. out of the region for like the past couple of decades. And it's just, I guess like language also plays a part. Like throughout the movie, he speaks in like Mandarin a lot, which is nice because, you know, it's nice to hear him speak the language that he's used in his acting pretty much his entire career. Yeah, I'm, but, glad, I'm glad I'm glad they didn't make him speak like English, you know. Yeah. But at the same time he still had to speak English, right? Yeah. And it kinda like like his English is fine. It's just like a bit awkward, right? Because I'm so used to like seeing him like do like very deep personal, like character driven mm. movies with a lot of monologues yeah. and a lot of like character building and the fact that like he it just doesn't hit the same. 
when it's being done in English. Also, yeah, that's probably something that's also kind of unfortunate about the movie for me is like, he's literally one of like the most celebrated actors ever. And he doesn't, like he did his best to make himself, make his character seem like a sympathetic villain. Mm. But at the same time, it's like, I wish they could have gone a bit more. Uh, can't talk about spoilers, or <laughs> We don't have a policy on this. <laughs> okay. Okay, I think it's like been out like the theaters for a while, so I'll just say it. Like, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, yeah. It's, it was also really frustrating to see his character be killed off. Because, like, I get it, it's like a Marvel movie. They pretty much kill off every single villain in every single one of their movies. That's kind of like how superhero movies work, right? And their characters are not usually... I deep mean, yeah but i'm just very frustrated that like this is all pure like personal opinion and like pet peeves but i was just really frustrated that they managed to get like one of the most established actors they could possibly get for this movie mm. who's who's like literally like my dad's favorite actor he's been watching his movies since the 90s and just have him in a single marvel movie and then like kill him off right Oh, so he wouldn't continue in the Marvel Universe, too. Yeah. Oh, true. Mm. Mm. It's just like a token, you know? Like, I think they probably... I think it's also a money thing. Like, a lot of this is very commercial. Like, they want to appeal to... The Chinese market. Yes. And that's something that's also been very frustrating with, like, Hollywood movies. Because they're not being used very well. Mm. Like, the one that, like, my my, like... The Chinese friends and I talked about that like frustrated the heck out of us was I remember back I don't even exactly remember when but when X-Men uh, Days of Future Past came out mm. in China they were marketing it extremely heavily yeah because they featured one of the country's most famous actresses at the time Fang Bingbing who's easily like at least at that time extremely popular yeah like her posters were all in the wall, all on the everywhere, you know, her the movie advertisements in China predominantly featured her. Mm. And if you actually watched the movie, you probably didn't even know she was there. I didn't know she was in that movie. I didn't she know was, she was in that movie. She was in the first 10 minutes of the section where like a bunch of like mutants are being killed off by the robots before they send like uh Wolverine back in time. She has like five lines and she dies in the first 10 minutes. And everyone back home was so pissed about it. Because really it's, so. it's like, first of all, like false advertising. But secondly, it's just very frustrating that they're getting like really famous act actors and actresses using them in advertisements. But in the actual plot, they're not being used correctly. Oh. Like granted, you could argue that like her acting's not the she's very much more of like she's she started off as a model i think so mm -hmm. it's like she's like a more of like a pretty, a pretty face, face than like somebody who's like infamous for their acting compared to like a tony learn but it's just very frustrating to see them not be utilized correctly in movies or just like not being used at all i think it's also a budget thing no it's all back to money I guess maybe, but like at the same. Like maybe they only afford to use her for ten minutes. Like wait, no, no, no. They're super rich. Yeah, I mean the budget thing. I don't think is that 
strong of an argument either, right? Because, okay, sure, Tony Leung is, like, really famous and, like, it probably costed a significant portion of money to get him in Shang-Chi. But also, this is the MCU we're talking about. Yeah. They're not really yeah, in a... They have a shortage of budget. They're, they're not in a <laughs> financial constraint at this point, right? This be true. <laughs> but, yeah. Anyways, back to food. Oh, my gosh. Wait, I, had a, <laughs> I, mean, I had a thread that I thought okay, of when, yeah, yeah, yeah. when um, while you were talking about um, Shang-Chi. Like, it's... Both, when we're talking about both things, it's kind of like this common idea of there being so much like breadth of diversity even within Asia, however people say it, Asia, um, that here it's like simplified to, mm. down to like one thing. And then you can like, you can just characterize a country by pad thai, one dish, pho, yeah. one dish. And it's like literally... An entire country, right? Other people eat like Asian salad. Yeah, like what the frick is Asian salad? That's an entire continent. I think like in terms Mandarin of like, oranges. I think like it's something very like regional as well, right? I think that's something that okay, Singapore is not a good example because the place is like an island with like it taking like forty five minutes to get from like one side to the other. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at like. Thai food, especially Chinese food, is a very regional thing, right? Like, mm. like for example, Thailand, like, Southern Thai, Central Thai, and, like, Northern Thai cuisine, there very is different. a difference. Yeah. Uh, China, obviously, if, if you put somebody from, like, like, Guangdong province, and, like, you throw them in Beijing, for a month, they'll probably go insane, because the food is, like, completely different. Mm. Like, it's not, it's, like, drastically different. Like if you take something from like southern China and put them in like northern China, they're probably gonna go and say and be like, "Where's the where's the rice?" Because like there they don't actually eat rice as much. They eat like more like buns, layer bows, and like yeah. more like noodle dishes, and it's just very it's very weird because I feel like when it comes to like Chinese cuisine, right? Like a standard question if you're not familiar with it, you'll be like, "Oh, uh, what's kind of like." The national dish of China, and I'm just like, what? I don't know, cause it's like, kung pao chicken. How do you even answer? That? <laughs> cause it's like, there's, there's like, different, like cuisines, within China, and there's no one dish that like everyone, all 1.3 billion people eat, right? And another part of it is like, like even with like. I guess, like, even something as simple as, like, noodles in China, right? It's, like, ridiculously complicated. Because it's, like, yeah. different regions have, like... Rice noodle. Yeah. So, potato noodle. How the noodle is cut. Yeah. Yes. Like, is it cut? How's it made? Like, Western China, for example, they do, like, noodles with, like, lamb in it. With, like, a, that's a bit spicy. Sichuan, you got, like, like your, like, dainamian, which is, like, spicy. Shanghai, my favorite, is, like... It's like the vinegar and like peanut sesame sauce, cold mm-hmm. noodles, which is really good. And then like Northern, you got like your more traditional like ramen. And then you you go to like Guangdong province, like Hong Kong, then it gets like crazy. It's like you have your like macaroni, you have your instant noodles and macaroni. If you're talking about really authentic like Yue Cai, which is like Cantonese cuisine, you got like your like, stir fried beef noodles. You got like fishball noodles. You got wonton noodles. It's like... Mm-hmm. Like, you can't even pick a noodle dish to represent China, right? And it's, like, very... <laughs> Let alone uh, t- just a dish. Because <laughs> it's, like... Yeah. 
Okay, Charmaine, what about you? What about, like, what are your thoughts on food in general? Wait, no, that, that's the worst question ever. That's so general. <laughs> well, what about food and culture? Yeah. That's kind of what we're yeah. talking about. Um, I guess as someone who was pretty much born and raised here, like I've been to Asia to visit, but never to live. Um, and growing up in a place, I'm from Alberta, so that's a place that's like <laughs> largely white. Um, and I did have like a lot of Asian community growing up as well, but the larger society was like, are you a Chinese? <laughs> um, I, I think food, even something that it's like, it might not be fully authentic um, to Asia, like any Asian food that I had was like a win already. Like mm. we have, we had like two pretty good Chinese places and it was like Cantonese style. Um, food and that was like the place you go for China those are the places you go for Chinese food period Chinese food so and they never changed and so like those were those are like pinnacles of my childhood I'm like okay food Chinese food this is this is what I think of um, and then it's also my parents cooking at home and that's kind of my like idea of what food from my culture is supposed to be like so when I came to Toronto and I got to try so many different other cultures' foods, I was like mind blown. <laughs> Actually, my world has expanded. I was like, Yo, <laughs> I could cook so much more cool stuff. Um, that's outside of things that were cooked in my family. So I don't know. I I, I think I definitely understand your guys's like quips about having about like the authenticity or or um, people's reception to food here, and I think that totally makes sense. Um, but I guess like, for me, growing up here, it was sometimes just enough to have something mm. that even like represented a, a piece of me that was like, enough to hold on to, I guess. And now, now it's a lot better. Um, <laughs> like, we have a lot of Korean food in Edmonton, and a lot of good Vietnamese food, actually. Um, yeah, but I still, I definitely really understand the having, feeling like you're pigeonholed into one specific dish or like culture, um, at least in my conversations with like coworkers and stuff back when I was in Alberta. And I think I felt like a really big culture shock. This one summer I worked with these um, these people who were all like Alberta born and raised like very white like their parents have a ranch they go out to like go camping every weekend <laughs> that the you, ranch. Know, you know <laughs> that sort of thing um, and I would like tell them what I did the night before where I was going with my friends and then it would just be like I never knew how to explain it I was like oh yeah I'm gonna go get Korean food with my friends tonight and then they'd be like so what's that? What do you eat? What? And I'm like, <laughs> oh. or I'm gonna go get bubble tea. And then they're like, oh, what, is that what you do with your friends? <laughs> you don't just go drink? <laughs> like, no, I, I usually get bubble tea. And they're like, oh, so what do you put, like, what do you have in your tea? Herbal <laughs> 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 tea, yeah. chamomile. Uh, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, whatever, I feel like whatever, 
things that were Asian-ish, um, I would like grasp onto and be like, oh yeah, okay, that's like something of me. Yeah. I think one thing, at least from like a very like, like, like Asian born and raised in like Asia, that I found really interesting was like, the thing about being like, like a foodie here. I always found this so interesting that like, that's considered like, a major like, unique like personality trait. A foodie? Yeah. Oh, that's true. Cause it's like, ah. I guess like a foodie is like somebody who really likes trying different types of food. Mm -hmm. But we never used to say that like, oh, I was a foodie growing up. Cause it's like, everyone just Everyone's was, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, growing up in like Shanghai and Hong Kong, right? It's like, you have like a variety. Like sometimes my family would want like Japanese food, sometimes Korean, sometimes like, Thai and like we would like eat a bunch of like different cuisines I didn't realize how like unique of an experience that was until I got here and like you know I met people who were just like oh I've actually never tried like sushi and I'm like wait what <laughs> but, yeah, <that's... laughs> but yeah I think it's like it's just very interesting that like that's considered like I guess a hobby because I like for me growing up I just assumed that like Everyone did that thing where it's like you look for like new interesting restaurants But here it's like you kind of like build it as like a major part of like Your personality right where you're like mm. oh I'm like seeking out like all oh, new dessert places or like new trendy restaurants. I'm just like I also I thought... feel like I've run out of places to go to you yeah. know <laughs> Well, maybe because we don't have a car but <laughs> The access is limited. No, we do. We have jeans yeah. <laughs> not your car <laughs> but yeah it's like i'm just like sure i'm like yeah i guess like am i a foodie yes but like so would you say in asia that that eating and food is like a part of socializing yeah it's yeah. inherent yeah it's it's like bread and butter of what we do right mm -hmm. yeah. yeah actually fun fact i think like statistically speaking like how like every major city in the world like Hong Kong is ranked number one in terms of like how much of your how big percentage wise is the proportion of your income that's spent on like eating out. Uh. Like it's very ingrained in like culture, right? In the yeah. sense that like I think a lot of it's also because of like work culture there where uh, at least if you're like our age and you're a young working professional, you're like usually doing a lot of overtime, right? So as a result, you're eating out a lot more because you don't really want to like finish a long day at work and like get off the clock at like 8 p.m. 9 p.m. and like cook for an hour <laughs> cook for an hour get your groceries <laughs> wash right? dishes oh the worst so you just you know instead you just spend like around the same amount or even less actually in some cases mm -hmm. get a bowl of like noodles or like pork chop rice and like call it a day mm -hmm. I feel like that plays a big part in it as well and I feel like just eating out is like a very enjoyable experience because you know you first of all it's a lot more accessible with like public transport back there but also it's just like a really nice and easy way to like meet with your family especially like extended family that's kind of always been an interesting thing that like for example people here they don't like meet their see their like aunts and uncles that often unless it's like christmas or thanksgiving well, like, for me, growing up, like, 
every month, whether I was in Shanghai or in Hong Kong, I would have like at least two to three meals mm. per month with like my grandparents and like my uncle and my aunts. Would you guys eat out? Yeah, that's what we eat out. Mm. But it's it's a very stressful affair because it's like <laughs> a lot of people and we have to decide on a place, and it's very and like it's always been like a challenge that. We rotate around the family in terms of like deciding on a place to eat, mm. because that's the hardest decision all yeah, the time. <laughs> yeah, that's always the hardest decision. Yeah. Like, because it's like we want something good, but we also want to like explore a bit. We don't want to get like, okay, like cheese lobster noodles are great, but like we need to like diversify outside of that. So sometimes we would go for like Thai food. Sometimes we would go for like. Sometimes we just go to like all you can eat like. Japanese or Korean restaurants. That that was like my favorite growing up. But yeah, it's like very weird, because I keep on telling this story to a lot of people. But one of my uh, favorite restaurants, not my one of my favorite, my favorite restaurant in Hong Kong growing up is actually a Thai restaurant. <laughs> it's nice. it's not anything special. Like it's not like it's definitely not the best Thai restaurant in the world. The only reason I it's not like my favorite is like my family has been going there forever, like I I like checked with my mom my mom, how long have you been going to this Thai restaurant for like family dinners and she's like, since before I met your dad and I'm like, that's like well it runs in your family's blood yeah <laughs> it predates your existence yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah because the the thing about this restaurant right is like, it's located in like a pretty residential area in like South Hong Kong Island. And it's kind of where like my extended family have lived basically forever. Yeah. And it's like, according to my dad, like back in like the early nineties when they first started going there, uh, there there wasn't as much like non like Cantonese restaurants, so it just opened and they tried it and it's like very different because like Thai food tastes very different from dim sum, right? And <laughs> it just went there and they've been going there for like three decades. It's very weird because it's like. Very, again, it's nothing special. Like it's your standard like pineapple rice, curry crab stuff like that. But it, it it does have a very nostalgic place in my heart. It's also extra funny because it's been the same owner the entire way through. He's like wow. sixty five. Seen the guy old grow old. Wow. He's literally. He's like, seen you grow old. He's. <laughs> he's seen like my parents like after they got married, and he's like seen me, basically since I was born, and it's like. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, and it's just like the best. Oh, my favorite part about it is like he will always give us like free dessert and like a free like. He will sometimes give us two, but usually one free like young coconut, and it's just like the best. Man, we talked about a lot of things. Like one like hour. We... <laughs> Yo, did we actually talk? Okay. That's what I was trying to show you. Well. I mean, we kind of hit a variety of topics. Started at food, went into culture, went into movies. Asian representation. Asian. <laughs> I don't I don't even know if we meant to go there, but good conversation. Yeah. Um, and came back to food in the end. Thank you, Wai, for joining us. For this yes. Thanks and for, for all your stories. Thanks for listening to my story about Thai food. <laughs> I really want my Thai food again. What's it called? Tell the viewers the restaurant name. Yeah, so they can go. It's called Myanmar Thai Place. That's literally the English name. <laughs> I don't even think they serve like Burmese cuisine. Just call it Myanmar. Yeah. So sad. It's just like very. I trust you. It should be good. Yeah. Okay. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.